When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 199 of the Cincinnati Reds podcast known as Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm Chad Dotson with me this week, as he often is. And excited today to talk about actual news uh, in the land of the Cincinnati Reds. It's Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I am well and excited to talk about news in the way that I often do on this podcast right here. Occasionally, uh, we talk and don't have a whole lot of news, though, to discuss. It's true, but it's getting close to baseball season now, and actual things are actually happening. Uh, Actual things are actually happening, such as the Reds traded for Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw today. Am I right? Right, that they traded for both of those now. They are now World Series favorites by consensus. Exactly. Uh, the rest of the league has decided to forfeit, so the Reds are 162-0. and uh, Yeah, clearly. Um, no, of course, the, that's not what the news was today, but it was some pretty big news because it, things are starting to become clearer about the Reds' uh, roster. It's really starting to shape up, and the uh, the rotation in particular is starting to shape up. So the Reds made some cuts today, and I'll just run through those briefly, and then we can dig into a few of them. Uh, with with a little more depth, the Reds sent right-handed pitchers Robert Stevenson and Jackson Stevens to uh, Class AAA Louisville. Reassigned to the minor league camp, Tanner Rainey, Dylan Floro, Joe Hudson, Roselle Herrera, Ben Revere, and Mason Williams, and released Oliver Perez. Now, uh, let's talk about just off the top, because this is what everyone uh, is going to be most interested in, Oliver Perez and Ben Revere. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, maybe that's not what everybody's excited about. But Oliver Perez, I thought, had a chance to make this roster as uh, one of these loogies, lefty one-out guys. Did you see maybe uh, – did you see that happening? Yeah, I could I could see it. Um, I think I was kind of in the – he might make it, he might not, you know, camp. Um, it's interesting that they let him go. Um, I think the – reaction i'm seeing on twitter from the beat writers at least is that um with some of the injuries they just couldn't afford to carry somebody who you can't really rely on for more than a couple batters and perez is right at the very 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 end of his career anyway so um and it's not like he'd exactly burned it up in the spring so i you know i don't think it's a bad uh, a bad cut absolutely not surprising um and uh, you're right it was not good but i just he seemed like he might fill a role and uh, being that veteran guy. Another veteran guy, Ben Revere, reassigned to minor league camp. Now, he's got a choice to make. Revere doesn't have to accept that assignment. He can become a free agent. And uh, I think everyone kind of expects that. Uh, certainly, I'll be shocked if he decided to report to the minor league camp rather than explore his options with another organization. Um, did, did that one surprise you? Uh, I think that is actually pretty interesting. Um I was a little bit surprised by it because it seems to me now that it means the Reds are leaning really hard on keeping Philip Irvin up as their fifth outfielder. 
um, unless they're going to have Brandon Dixon on the team and have him filling that role. But you don't have a true center field backup um, otherwise. See, it, it makes the outfield situation more interesting. A lot of people I know were really grumpy about the Reds picking up Ben Revere. I, I wasn't able to manage much actual emotion um, on it. But it's interesting to me that they are cutting him. Uh, well, not cutting him, but he's, he's likely not going to be a part of the organization for, for too long. Certainly not going to be on the opening day roster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right in a couple of respects, which is surprising. Uh, ben Revere, I, I didn't. What? <laughs> I wasn't able to work up a whole lot of uh, disgust over that either, because I really just he would if, if he makes the opening day roster, he's the 25th guy on the roster, and I just you know okay, it might be a bad decision to do it, but um, there are other things to worry about. I think you're right. It could mean uh, it could mean Philip Irvin. Uh, I would probably put my money on. Um, Brandon Dixon getting that last spot, and you know Shevler being uh, uses the backup center fielder more often than not. So, uh, what's interesting to me though, and, and and you had a tweet about this that I want to explore as we continue to discuss these cuts and what it means for the Reds. You had a tweet earlier today that said it, you thought that it looked like the Reds may be trying to find some something approximating the best twenty five guys on the roster. And it, it reminds me, as soon as this news came out, I got a, a, a text from a friend. And uh, he said, the, this is the text, the Revere move surprises me. I thought he'd make the team. Releasing Perez surprises me too. And my response to that was, does it give you a little more faith in this front office? And, and what I meant by that was, it seems to me like if Walt Jockety were still running this team, Revere and Perez may be on the roster. Um, and, and instead of that, hey, are we getting somewhere close to what you said? the 25 best players on the team. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, obviously you're never going to have the 25 best players in your organization on the team. Or if you do, it says something really bad about your minor league system. That's true. Because there's always hopefully somebody in the minors who really needs to be playing every day and is not on the major league team. It's kind of like you said the other day about uh, on Twitter. I saw you have a conversation with someone about, you know, these guys are probably the five best starting pitchers in the Reds organization right now, major league starting pitchers. Somebody's like, what about Hunter Green? And you said, well, you know, Hunter Green is going to be great, hopefully, but he's probably not one of the five best guys at getting major league hitters out right now. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so. yeah, but, you know, I think probably the only guys who would fit into that category of, some of the 25 best players in the organization. And by best players, I mean able to participate in the major leagues right now. I guess I guess there are three. One is Nick Senzel, who everybody knew is not going to break with the team. But it's probably uh, but clearly in the top 25 if you're putting together your 25-man ro- roster. Um, and the other two, I would say, are um, maybe Alex Blandino and Philip Irvin. And they will probably, if they don't make the team, they will slot into the role of, in AAA in the event that somebody gets hurt, and then they're up playing every day. Yeah. Yeah, I think Blandino especially, I think, really could help this team off the bench. Uh, so, but And I think he will. Like I said, I think he will at some point this season. So, yeah, I, I'm, I agree. We're, we're kind of close to the top, uh, top 25 guys, the guys that you would pick if you uh, were really picking the team and you wanted to try to compete this year. And so 
that's not good for Robert Stevenson, probably, but he gets to go to, to AAA, and he'll be the, you would presume, uh, one of the anchors of the staff in, at AAA Louisville, and when there comes a need for another starter in Cincinnati, hopefully he's pitching well enough to earn um, that opportunity. But uh, I just, I, I feel like it, we in years past, we've seen guys like Ben Revere and Oliver Perez on the opening day roster because of their veteraniness. Yeah, and uh, instead, it looks like we're taking some guys that may have some actual upside, and that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I I agree very much, and I also I really don't have any problems at all with Stevenson being sent down. I think uh, obviously he still has all the potential in the world, but it seems to me that the the organization has hit a point where what they're effectively telling him is you have reached a point at which we need to see consistent results, and he has not been remotely consistent. Uh, during spring training. And right, there's no reason to give up on him yet. He pitched uh, relatively well at the end of last season and what I like about it is, is it, they're not going to fool around putting him in the bullpen in Cincinnati to start this season like they did last year. And yeah. so, let's send him down. Let's let him start and hey, like you just said, show it to me. Show me what yep. you got. Prove that you deserve to be up here and we'll have you up here. Jackson He's Stevens fun. never had a chance to make it, so a little sort of gloss over him, but um it looks sort of like at this point, and this is really the primary thing that I think is interesting about these cuts, is all of a sudden it looks like the uh, the starting rotation is pretty much set. And uh, and there's one name in here that really, is, I, I'm sure, excites you. I know it excites me uh, that's in this group. But right now it looks like it's uh, Homer Bailey, who is going to be the opening day starter, uh, presuming his arm is still attached come opening day. Uh, Luis Castillo, Tyler Molly, Sal Romano. And then, you know, Amir Garrett, Brandon Finnegan will be the fifth at whatever point uh, we need a fifth starter in Cincinnati. So what do you think about that group? I could not be happier. Actually, the only way I could be happier is if Disco were healthy. Right. Yes. That would be great. But, I mean, in terms of available pitchers, this is who I would pick um, if they left it up to me. I, you know, I, I think – you and I are both, I think it's who you were alluding to, really thrilled to see uh, Tyler Molly oh, yes. uh, making the rotation out of, uh, out of spring training. And it's interesting to me, I mean, who knows what will happen later in the year, but it's interesting to me that they're maybe kind of not going to play service time games with him and just go ahead and let him be up. Um, and then, you know, they've basically rewarded Garrett by making him the sort of 5A or 5B starter, you know, depending on on when Finnegan's able to come back. And that's somebody who really did not pitch well for a lot of last year, but was apparently hurt and showed up and really just forced his way into the conversation. Um, And I think that start he had on Sunday really went a long way, too, because he he had a very nice start. So I think, um, man, I have no complaints whatsoever about the rotation, like none at all. Absolutely. Tyler Malley is a guy that just, as we always say, he just he just gets people out. And they may still play some service time games with him. They did with Amir Garrett last year. They're sending him down after uh, his first few starts. And they may still do that because they don't have to send him down for long to be able to get that extra year of control. Um, but I hope, again, but it's, it's not my money in that last year. I would love to see him just pitch so well that they cannot send him out. And uh, and it's, you know, it's a possibility. I love that guy. Can't wait to watch him pitching uh, every five days. The other guy, uh, as you said, Garrett. Now I do want to touch on Sal Romano in a moment, but Amir Garrett. We always say you can't base your decisions or your roster decisions on spring training stats and what happens in the spring. 
and it's true. I'm not going to – Garrett has pitched exceptionally well, and he has good statistics, but I don't even know what they are because that's not what I'm looking at when saying that I'm glad this guy worked his way into the conversation. And the way he worked his way into the conversation, uh, it's it's a byproduct of how he got those stats got to be so good, but just he showed that he was healthy. He's throwing harder than he has ever thrown before. And uh, when you see that that stuff, you say, oh, this is the guy that was so so high on our list before he got hurt. So I'm really happy that he came out, and he clearly came out – to prove something this spring and uh, could not be more excited to see him uh, steal the chance. And, you know, Finnegan hurt Finnegan still, you know, I don't know if and when Finnegan's going to, Brandon Finnegan's going to be ready. He's still young and he's still talented when healthy, but uh, yeah, he's got, had some uh, Devin Mesoraco level bad luck uh, lately. So, but it's a pretty exciting group. And, and the guy we're kind of glossing over is Sal Romano, who's a young guy. Uh, younger than Amir Garrett, who uh, pitched so well, was the best rookie pitcher in the staff last year, uh, in, other than uh, the one guy, Luis Castillo, who we continue to gloss over as well because we're expecting so much from him. Um, Sal Romano, uh, finishing the year strong last year and coming out this spring and doing nothing but just uh, continuing to uh, be encouraging. Yeah, I think with Sal, it's just um... – I think he, in order to make the rotation, needed to basically not, you know, be a disaster. And he wasn't, and he was good last year. He's kind of doing exactly what you would expect him to do, which is exactly what we want him to do. Um, so, yeah, we don't need, mean to ignore Sal at all. Um, and hopefully he just continues to be uh, kind of a, a constant that, that can be relied upon every uh, every five days for a while. Yeah, no, I'm... Uh... I don't think anyone can argue with him being in that uh, in that mix. He certainly earned it uh, with his performance last year, and then coming into camp ready to go this year. Now, okay, so there there are lots of reasons for optimism with this group: uh, Castillo, Molly, uh, Romano, Garrett, Finnegan, all young, all talented, um, and uh, it's very exciting. I called it uh, at RedLegNation.com. I called it a, a full-on rebuild rotation in a lot of ways. We finally get to see what these guys have got. You know the. And if they all get better and better at the big league level, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be exceptionally fun to watch. Um, but can can I can I? Go oh, go 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 ahead. Go ahead, Cowboy. You're the pe- you're the optimistic guy, and so I'm going to get you to talk me off the ledge a little bit. I'm not really on the ledge, but I can really see how this could be. Not as big a disaster as last year, but it still could turn into a pretty big mess of a uh, rotation. And I've been thinking this a little bit for a while, and hadn't really uh, hadn't really put it into words yet. And I happened to see that uh, our friend Mo Egger had a piece at theAthletic.com uh, when she talked, made some predictions for the year. And his first prediction was just that, hey, you know, this rotation can be a mess. And I started, and I said, yeah, that's what I've been sort of thinking. And the reason why I think it, and I don't know that he. Uh, said it this exactly this way, and if you subscribe to the Athletic, you should go uh, read it. And if you don't subscribe to the Athletic, you probably should subscribe. It's pretty good. But the way I look at it is, is this: yes, this rotation could be good, but yet we don't have a single pitcher, not one pitcher, who has both demonstrated an ability to stay healthy and pitched a full big league season. So. I mean, not even one guy that you're sure I can count on this guy. A lot of guys that maybe, a lot of guys that you can be really optimistic about, but that's a ton of uncertainty. And with young pitchers, they're notoriously inconsistent. 
I'm afraid that it could snowball and we could have a, a mess again because we just don't have anyone that one or two rocks that you can build the rotation around that we're sure you can build the rotation around. Now tell me how wrong I am, Jason. Um, I think you are reasonably wrong. Oh man, that's not very nice. You're overruled. I'm well, I'm not very nice. <laughs> uh, I, I am paid to crush dreams, Chad. I'm not paid to, uh, make dreams come true. Um, no, I think that I think they'll be fine. You're right. Young pitchers are inconsistent. Um, young pitchers are unpredictable and so on and so forth. But the error bars are very large on young pitchers. And I think what I like about this rotation, this particular group of players, is that um, with the exception of Homer Bailey, who now seems to be pretty fully recovered, and Brandon Finnegan, there have not been arm troubles here, which would lead one to believe that we can rely on the pitchers to at least start every five days. And if they're at least starting every five days, then the Reds are in pretty good shape. Um, you know, the, the number of, because, I mean, let's you know, one or two of them might disappoint, but one or two of them are just as likely to, to sort of um, easily clear the bar or whatever for what we would, what we would expect of them. And, you know, last year's rotation, I was just looking this up, this, all of the red starting pitchers combined last year only generated 2.8 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. And r- this season, their, like, super conservative projection has them at 9.3. So that's already an enormous improvement. Now, it doesn't take them into sort of even the middle of the pack in terms of starting rotations, but it's so much better than last year. And, you know, if you think about it, add seven wins to last year's team – and probably a lot of us feel a lot better about it. Um, can we do that? Can we can we go back somehow and add seven wins? Alas, no. Oh, okay. Um, but I think that, you know, last year the Reds did kind of figure out who looks like they can do it and who can't. You're right, nobody's done a full season yet, but, um, you know, Sal Romano has shown us that in, in, a, in a real good half a season that he can – Pitch to major league pitchers. Same with Luis Castillo. Um, you know, Garrett, yeah, there were the injury issues, but he certainly isn't afraid of major league hitters. Um, and there's no reason for us to doubt Tyler Molly until he gives us reason to. Um, so it's just, it's hard for me to not be fairly optimistic. Um, I would also point out that it's just one of these things that's happened over the last couple of years that I'm still adjusting to, but I think we all need to adjust to. There were only 58 pitchers in all of baseball last year who qualified for the ERA title. That's less than two per team. So, you know, the the new normal or whatever, so to speak, is for you to have maybe one guy who gets to 180 innings pitched and maybe one more who gets to about 160. And then otherwise, you're just kind of cobbling things together. Okay. I mean, and, and that's a good effort there, Jason. But I still look at this group and... Castillo, Molly, Romano, Garrett. I mean, these guys are all talented. And if all of them do well, or most of them, or half of them do well, good. But still, you're talking about guys that are rookies or uh, second-year pitchers who have not pitched a full year in the big leagues. And I, I guess I'm just saying you don't want to. You don't want to. 
I wouldn't go out and bet the ranch that that any of them in, individually are going to be uh, above well, average pitcher. Here, let's let's say this then: that uh, by the end of this season, the Reds will know how many starting pitchers they need to pay for on the open market. That's absolutely true, and that's uh, that, that's why going into next year, we're going to know, we're, and we'll, we won't be able to say that that they haven't right. had anybody that's been healthy or pitched a full big league season. And we'll ha- and hopefully have several of them and have a really good idea what the Reds have. After this season, there should be no doubts. And after this season, if the Reds have clear holes that they don't fill, then I think a lot of us are going to be justifiably really upset. Yeah, I think absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, I think there's the rebuild rotation, you know, with all the young guys, it's fantastic. And I'm happy about it. I'm glad that this is the way that it's – I'm not glad that uh, Di Sclafani's hurt. I'd like to have him in that mix. But I'm really glad that some of these guys are getting an opportunity and are so far looking like they're trying to grab that brass ring. Um, and it, could, it just as I say, it could turn into a mess like last year. Um, the flip side is also true. It could do, it, They could be better than anyone expect. And that's a possibility. All we got to have is you know Castillo to be what we think Castillo can be. Tyler Molly to continue getting people out and uh, maybe being slightly above average or something, uh, and Romano Garrett be average, and all of a sudden that's pretty pretty good looking rotation really in a lot of ways, especially compared to last year's uh, Liselberto Bonilla disaster of a of a rotation. So um, there really is after last year, there really is nowhere to go but up. Um, and and yeah, if you get thirty starts each from Castillo, Molly, and Romano. And they're all average to above average. Boy, you're feeling pretty good. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Especially going into the you know the the following year when you would expect them to even improve. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess. And and the other reason why you might want to be optimistic instead of being pessimistic like me is that when the inevitable holes arise, somebody gets hurt or or something. Someone needs to you know. Uh, for whatever reason, you're gonna have to. There are gonna be other pitchers that are gonna pitch. Hopefully, this year it's gonna be. Robert Stevenson and maybe Cody Reed. And then you got Garrett or Finnegan, whichever one doesn't get the fifth spot. So you got some other guys. It's not going to be the Tim Adelmans and, you know, bless you, Tim Adelman. Appreciate everything you did for the Reds. Um, it's not going to be the Asher Wojciechowski's. It's not going to be the, uh, that Bonilla guy, whatever his name is. Um, so uh, that's, you know, when we have to fill some spots, wait, wait a second, wait, Back up and say it right, Chad. Uh, okay. If, if you insist. I don't really like saying it, but if you insist, I will. Lizalberto Bornia. We're going to get him on every podcast from here on out. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess. But, man, if it starts going bad or a couple guys get hurt and, uh, you know, Disco doesn't come back and, I don't know. I just we've already got three pitchers hurt in Finnegan, Discafani, and, and Michael Lorenzen. So I can see that's what is weighing on my mind. The injuries just buried them last year. But here, and this is just something I would point out, is you know I talked about this last time I was on. The three pitchers who are hurt are three pitchers who have been hurt before. True. And that's that's predictive. Um, you know that's 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 predictive. I. I've been saying for ages that I wasn't expecting more than one full starter's worth of work from you have, yeah. Bailey, the Sclafani, and Finnegan together. And so, for me at least, I'm like, yep, yeah, this seems about right. We've got one of them in the rotation. 
to start the season. That that matches with my expectations. Well, then all the hopes, though, uh, in that scenario are pinned on guys like Castillo and, and Mali and Romano uh, not getting hurt. I and mean, you got to have those guys stay healthy. And you yeah, know, I'm sure. not gonna I'm not gonna again bet the ranch on any pitcher ever staying healthy. But you're right; they don't have the certainly in terms of arm issues, they don't have a history. So right. that is something to be happy about, I guess. But but this is the re, this is the rotation I kind of wanted to see last year. I'm glad we're finally getting it. So agree, it's time. What do you think about Nick Senzel at second base? Uh, I think that Nick Senzel is going to end up playing the infield wherever the Reds feel like they need a bat. You know, this week, uh, Nick Senzel was uh, reassigned to minor league camp as well. And uh, I don't believe we've had a chance to talk about this since the last podcast. So a lot of people on what I call hashtag Reds Twitter went nuts as they do, because that's what Reds Twitter does about, oh my gosh, that means he's not going to be a second base or a shortstop now? Are they abandoning the shortstop already? What's going on? He must just not be very good at shortstop. Why, can't, why aren't they playing him at shortstop? Why are they making this decision? And my response was, okay, listen, slow down. <laughs> There's nothing the Reds, the Reds announced, of course, when they went down that he's going to be playing primarily at second base to, to, at Louisville. And um, he's been in camp, got to camp early and been working on uh, – was working on second base before camp started. Since camp started, he's been strictly shortstop and third base. And, and my response to, to all that was, what have the Reds done here that makes anyone think that Nick Senzel won't play wherever the Reds have a need? Uh, does anybody think that because he's going to start the season playing second base at uh, Louisville, that he, if the Reds need a third baseman, if a. Eugenio Suarez let's hope not, gets hurt. Um, or if, let's say that Jose Peraza falls on his face, that the Reds can't move him to either of those positions? No, he's going to play somewhere on the infield. He's capable of playing all four infield positions. Am I right? Yeah, yeah no, you're, you're completely right. And I think, you know, the fact that they're playing him at second base, like in terms of the skill set that you need Nick Senzel to practice, um that's served better at second base than it is at third base if he's not going to play shortstop. And, and the Reds are going to have a couple of probably defense-first shortstops in AAA um, who are going to play shortstop most days. But, you know, Senzel can be over there at second. You know, they can still get an idea for his range and things of that nature. He can still work on turning double plays and all that just from the other side. Um, and But, like, nobody doubts that he has, for instance, the arm. If you have the arm to play shortstop or third base – you sure have the arm to play shortstop. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not worried about it. Okay, play second base, and we'll see. And, you know, maybe Jose Peraza comes on and is great, and then maybe they can use his help at second base, and he plays second base, whatever. If if the reverse is true, then that's fine too. Um, but I'm, I'm not too worried about where they're playing Nick Senzel in Louisville. No, there's no reason to, to worry about it. I mean, yeah, but what if Jose Peraza is the guy that we saw in the second half of last season at the plate, and defensively he's uh, a whiz? You know, I could see Peraza earning that. He's still young. He's a former really top prospect. Uh, at that point, what if they trade Scooter Jeanette? You know, I think the Reds uh, have not made any decisions yet. And, uh, and the way I put it was giving Senzel time at second base just gives the Reds more options depending on what happens with the big club, um, specifically with Peraza and Jeanette. Um, but the, the one absolute guarantee here is very soon, Nick Senzel will be starting for the Cincinnati Reds. 
at one yeah. position or another. And I just, I don't see any reason to sweat the details about that right now. No, nor do I. And, you know, the, if, <laughs> the only people who have any reason to sweat the details right now is anyone on the Reds who wants to be the starting second baseman or shortstop. Absolutely. <laughs> one of you is going to be the odd man out here in somewhere between three weeks and two to three months. Absolutely. And I don't know who that's going to be. Um, the Reds probably probably don't even uh, lean one way or the other. They may not know. They may lean, but um, yeah. it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I think whatever. He, they've worked him out now at three different infield positions. He played all three of them in college. If he's adequate at all three dif- defensive positions, what kind of flexibility does that give this organization to fill in whatever it turns out the hole is going to be? I think it's fantastic. Well, and you know, what, one something we haven't talked about at all yet is that apparently there has been a willingness expressed for Suarez to move to shortstop with me. Yeah. So, I mean, great. Like, <laughs> have all of these elite players who can play multiple positions, like the Cubs. Oh, God. Yeah. Imagining the Reds being like the Cubs, but, you know, the times are what they are. <laughs> the times um, they have changed, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, cool. If, you know... If Senzel and Suarez are just kind of playing wherever at the time and you've got, I don't know, Blandino sliding around there or, or what, I'll, I'll say this right now. I would not be at all surprised if right at this moment Alex Blandino were a better player than Scooter Jeanette simply because I think they probably are very similar with the bat, but Blandino is uh, a much better fielder right. than Scooter Jeanette is. I think you can make that case, absolutely. So, I don't know, you know, it's... Uh, like I said, Sinzel's the one guy that if you're putting together your best 25, like we discussed earlier, Sinzel's, Sinzel's in there. I don't know where you have him. That's a tough decision the Reds are going to have to make. But there's so many different options there that it's just fantastic. Um, so that was – we talked about there being a lot of news this week. The first was the cuts today, and that was uh, news. The other was Nick Sinzel getting sent down, which wasn't unexpected. Um, the news that he was going to be playing second base was a little unexpected. Um, and then – the other big piece of news this week that I really want to talk about just a moment and really uh, expound upon some is that uh, since our last podcast, uh, we may have to go to a daily podcast if the Reds keep having uh, big news like this uh, all the time. But this is, to me, exciting, something that a lot of us have called for for a while, and that's that they signed a, a seven-year contract with uh, third baseman, uh, supposedly third baseman, uh, Eugenio Suarez. And... I don't know. This really made me happy. You could tell in the uh, press conference they had, I don't know if you got a chance to see the video of that, that uh, Dick Williams was uh, happy, but Suarez was absolutely over the moon about it. Even though everyone's saying, why has he signed this contract that's so team-friendly? And it seems like it might be team-friendly a little bit. But on the other hand, he just became a multimillionaire. He's very happy with it. He loves being in Cincinnati. Um, he's got some stability for his family. Win-win. And I'm so happy that Eugenio Suarez is apparently going to be a member of this team for the uh, foreseeable future. What are your thoughts, Jason? Yeah, um, I would pretty much echo everything um, you said. It seems like a really – it certainly is a great thing for the Reds. Um, you know, I think it, there's probably to some fact, and I, and I think this was even alluded to in, in some quote or, or something I saw from Dick Williams that uh, – Man, I don't want to attribute that to Dick Williams. I read somewhere somebody pointing out that um, basically the free agent market has apparently shifted in very interesting ways that are going to be controversial as the year progresses. But 
if you're in a position like a Eugenio Suarez, you might think, well, I better just go ahead and take this money now because um, who knows what's going to happen in a few years. And, and, and uh, you know, again, he seems very happy. Um, obviously, he gets along well in Cincinnati, and, and the city, you know, the team has certainly taken to him, and, I mean, all of us love him. I think he's, uh, in, in terms of general love on social media or whatever, I think he's kind of right behind Joey Votto right now. And his reputation, I hear from people within the organization and from people just observing from outside, he works his tail off. He's just, there's really nothing to dislike about this kid. Always smiling, always there early working. Um, it is it is exciting. So I think you're right. There are a number of things that have possibly contributed to uh, him taking this deal that might have been less than he could obtain on the open market, I guess. But then again, we've just seen an open market this offseason that has not been very open and for whatever the reasons. Uh, guys haven't been getting those big dollar contracts this year, certainly not multi-year contracts. So Eugenio Suarez takes, uh, goes to arbitration, loses in arbitration and, uh, then sees what's going on out there and says, Hey, I can get 60 plus million dollars guaranteed for my family. Never going to have to worry about money again. Guaranteed. Whatever happens. Um, seeing Devin Mesoraco next to him and Homer Bailey might also, Make him think, you know, not a bad idea to grab this money when I can. The other thing I think that really nobody's talking about, and it may not even be a, uh, a consideration, but, you know, Eugenio Suarez is from Venezuela. And Venezuela has just completely collapsed uh, over the last uh, little bit. And, you know, he's got family in Venezuela. And, and that amount of money being guaranteed to him, that might be why another reason why he's a little more willing to take it. But you put all of it together. He loves uh, Cincinnati. And, again, I would encourage anybody to go watch the video, um, if you can find it, of his uh, press conference with Dick Williams, because he's just thrilled. He's so excited to be a Cincinnati Red. And, and if you didn't love him before, you will when you see, uh, when you see that. So, but, but you already love him, right? I already love him. And that's that's actually a very good point about Venezuela is that that country is in dire, dire, dire straits right now. Um, and I know a lot of players, a lot of minor leaguers have, have made a serious effort to just stay permanently in the U.S. Yes. Um, as things have gotten so rough there. So uh, and, and that may that may have had some. Let, let's let's um, let's break down a little bit the uh, the Suarez extension. It's going to cover the next three uh, seasons, which were arbitration seasons for Suarez, and then four full years of free agency. So, and there's actually a, a team option for an eighth year on the contract uh, at the end of it. So, uh, if the Reds picked up that team option, they'd have Suarez through age 34. Um, he's uh, 26 right now, so he'll make uh, four and a half million this year, which is a little more than what uh, he w got in uh, arbit the arbitration hearing. But that includes actually um, includes a, there's going to be a two million dollar signing bonus on top of that, um, and then seven point three million in 2019, nine point five million in 2020, and then ten point eight, eleven point three, eleven point three, eleven point three there for the end. So, um, and then that 2025 club options for fifteen million. So with a three, I think a two million dollar buyout. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You look around and you say this guy's a he's an elite defensive player. Outstanding offensive player last year, you know, uh, almost four wins above replacement, I guess, or in the neighborhood. Um, he, he was uh, an average of 3.9 between baseball reference and, and fan graphs last year. And, and we've been saying it. This is exactly the type of guy that the Reds need to be looking to sign long term. Yes, absolutely. I have no 
I mean, between the value that the Reds are getting, no one can complain about the Reds signing, getting this contract. Uh, nobody. <laughs> Someone well, will complain. You know what? I have seen people complain about it, and I will just I will pull no punches. Anyone complaining that this is a bad contract is an idiot. <laughs> I think you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, um, I just I don't see any downside to this at all. I just don't. Um, you know, he could get hurt tomorrow, but you know yeah. that doesn't change. Kind of like with Devin Mizoraco, it doesn't change uh, whether it was a, a smart move or not if he gets hurt tomorrow okay i think you look at all the information that the reds have right now they see a guy's working his tail off that has improved demonstrably every year and is just 26 years old and uh, hey that's a guy you want to take a chance on well yeah and you know one of the most common complaints at least among a certain segment of the fan base is oh the reds never keep anybody oh the reds never keep anybody the reds kept suarez yeah hey you know haven't we been saying when the time comes, they're going to be ready to spend that money again. And yeah. And this perhaps is the first, uh, the first mm-hmm. trickings of it. I think, I think we're, I think we are all very interested to see what happens in 2000 in the, in the next, in the next off season, uh, depending on what happens this year, but it, it, it could be quite intriguing over the next few years. Well, you're, you, the way you said it is right. This is the first shot uh, over the bow of the rebuild, the, the good ship rebuild turning around. You know, and, yep. and going into the area where they hope to be uh, have a competitive window, and this might be the very first. Uh, I, I got to say though, my favorite Eugenio Suarez, uh, my favorite thing about Eugenio Suarez, if you don't mind me saying, is this Jason Linden. Uh, I'm sure you know how the Reds uh, acquired Eugenio Suarez. I certainly do. The Reds, oh man, this is one of the greatest trades in the history of this organization. This great young player who the Reds just signed to a possibly eight-year deal if, if they pick up the option was acquired in a trade for the bloated corpse of Alfredo Simon. How is that even possible? I don't know. <laughs> good job, Reds. Someone, you know, for, for all of the, the flack that Walt Jockety takes, we do need to give him credit for that one. Yes, that one. Is- that is miraculous. I mean, talk about getting a player for another player who is superior in every conceivable way. I mean, and- just what a fabulous trade. And we'll be a red for a decade or more while Simon was just, I mean, just not good. Let's just say that. Just not good with the Detroit uh, and has not been uh, good since. Not not good is perhaps the best way yes. to describe everything about Alfredo Simon. That's the absolute kindest way to describe it. So really there should be a Detroit area prosecutor looking to uh, figure out if he can charge Walt Jockety with you know some kind of grand larceny or something. I mean, because that was just, it was highway robbery. So Yeah, I mean, that was, and didn't I see where apparently, I, I think this is on one of the broadcasts, apparently Jim Leland was working uh, in the Tigers when that trade was made <laughs> yes. and was just, lividly against them trading Suarez and they did it anyway. I think that was a C. Trent Rosecrans story. He caught up with, uh, with, uh, Jim Leland who said that. So yeah. And, and of course, I mean, this is a talented young guy. Oh my goodness. And you just give him away for, for really nothing. I mean, very exciting. So Eugenio Suarez, welcome to the crowd. And, uh, you know, last year, uh, you remember that guy, Brandon Phillips, remember him? I do remember that guy, Brandon Phillips. Yeah. He used to play for the Reds. 
Uh, and uh, you know, I've got a son, and he uh, as as do you. And my son's favorite player was uh, was Brandon Phillips. Always had been since he first uh, started liking baseball. You know, um, that was his guy. You know, and Brandon Phillips was a likable guy. I can see why kids would uh, be drawn to him. And uh, so when he got traded, uh, my son was a little upset, and but he uh, he sulked for a little while. But then he said, "Well, I got to pick a new player." And he really surprised me. I, you know, there's a number of guys I thought it might be, and it was Eugenio Suarez. And he picked him. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's good. This kid knows. This kid knows." So, um, again, that's a that's just that's an anecdote. It's not a uh, any uh, anything that should be considered when determining whether or not this was a good deal. But in my household, it was an extra special good deal. Excellent. Excellent. All right, now where do we go from here? This roster is beginning to take a little bit of shape. Jason, yeah. are we ready to predict a little bit about uh, what the what the final roster is going to look like? Who are these guys are going to make these last uh, last spots on the roster? What about who are, who are the backup infielders going to be? Who do you, who let's, do you let's just go position by position because I need to kind of yeah uh, clarify this in my head. Obviously, catcher, you've got Tucker and, and Mesoraco. Yes, um, who if uh, and this is a huge if if Mesoraco is healthy, I can see a scenario where they are among the most productive, certainly top half. Uh, yeah. in the majors of uh, of catchers because they complement each other pretty well. Yeah, but I, I don't think anybody's too worried about catcher. Um, that, that's looking pretty good. Um, first base, obviously the greatest player ever to grace the planet, Joey Votto. What happens uh, when Joey Votto uh, doesn't, takes a day off? Who, who are they going to play at first base? Joey Votto doesn't take days off. Man. Exactly. <laughs> um, the, the Reds did just pick this guy up off waivers. I'm not sure how to say his first name even, but yes. uh, Kenny Vargas. Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he's only ever played first base. You know, I'm, a lot of people are, are worked up about this. I kind of am wondering if it's one of those things where they have grabbed him and maybe they're going to try to work a trade and have him, like, you know, with whoever they picked him up from and, and have him be their, like, first baseman in Louisville or something like that. Um, I don't know. It would be, wouldn't be one of the, it would be one of those things where it wouldn't surprise me and they happen all the time where a player gets claimed and then two weeks later he's back with the team he started with. Yeah, I mean, um, if you think he can, if you think he can, uh, you can ultimately have him in, uh, in triple a, uh, then I think it probably makes a little sense. If you, if Brandon Dixon, for example, makes the, makes the roster who we'll talk about in a moment, I'm sure, um, you know, a little bit of organizational depth, you need it. Otherwise it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you don't really need someone who's strictly a backup first baseman in Cincinnati, because as you said, Votto doesn't take days off. So, uh, it would be curious if he does make the rotation. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with him. I, he's either in Louisville or he's not in the Reds organization, probably by opening day. And so then we've got Jeanette Peraza and Suarez finish out the infield, and then backup infielders. Let's see who's it down now. It kind of feels like Brandon Dixon has made the team. I think so. I'm not, I'm not real wild about Brandon Dixon. I'll tell you. I think people are a little bit seduced by his spring training stats. Um, his minor league numbers have not been particularly good. Um, he's probably the 25th guy, but okay, let me put it this way. I can deal with Dixon or Pennington, but not both. Well, here's where you're wrong, first of all. I'm not, uh, I'm not seduced by his uh, spring training numbers. That's not what uh, interests me most. What interests me, the reason why I'm on the uh, the Brandon Dixon uh, bandwagon is that glorious hair, that curly mane. <laughs> wow, that guy needs to be in a Reds uniform. Uh, 
26 years old this year, and, and yes, this spring, 342 average, 390 on base, 684 slugging, uh, four home runs, a couple of them really long home runs. Uh, certainly we've never seen anything. That's in 22 games, 41 plate appearances, so we've certainly never seen anything like that. Last year in Louisville, he did play uh, pretty much a full season, almost 500 plate appearances, 264, 327 on base, 457 slugging, uh, 16 homers. I mean, you know, okay, 25 years old in Louisville last year. Mm, okay. I mean, uh, yeah, my my personal opinion on Dixon is that he's, I, I think, probably a marginal major leaguer. Um, unless he were to pull the thing that, you know, some players have done and kind of kind of get the plate discipline in order. If he were walking a little bit more than he had walked in the minors, I would I would have a lot less of a problem with it. But uh, we'll we'll see. I, but I do think I would like the Reds to have somebody on the bench as a backup infielder who can genuinely hit. Uh, and I think Blandino for certain can hit. Um, but, but of course, you know, whoever's up is probably not going to be up for that long because Senzel is going to come up soon. So whoever makes the roster, I mean, that might, they really are going to be the 25th guy. Somebody's going back down before too terribly long. Yeah, I think the guys that you're talking about are the guys that are in the mix. Uh, Dixon, yeah. Alex Blandino, Cliff Pennington, who we do want to talk about in a moment. But here's, here's why I like Dixon in the mix. Dixon, do you know what position Dixon has played more than any in his uh, minor league career? You know, I don't. He played third base mostly for Louisville last year, I feel like. He did He did last year for Louisville, and third base is the position he's played um, second most of any position. Um, he's played 310 games at second base. So we got a guy with a little bit of pop. He's played first base. He's played second base. He's played third base. He's played left field. He's played center field. He's played right field. Um, he's basically basically played everywhere except for catcher and shortstop. So I think that gives you a little bit of a level of a versatility that you can plug him in different places. And I could see him because of that versatility, and and because he does have a little bit of pop in that bat, making the uh, making the roster. Um, if it's between Blandino and Pennington for a, a pick, I don't think there should be any choice there. Should there? No. Why would you pick Cliff Pennington over Alex Blandino? Only if, you want a, only if you want a true shortstop. And, you know, Blandino is, I mean, I've seen him play a fair bit. He's not a disaster at shortstop. I think um, it really depends. If you think that you eventually want Alex Blandino to be a starter for you, then you send him to, uh, to AAA. But if you think, which is the role that he might very well be best suited for, that he's more of a super sub, then I think you keep him up because – you know, if, say, Peraza gets dinged up and needs a couple of days off, um, Blendino absolutely can do that job. And he absolutely is good enough defensively to play second or third uh, on a regular basis. He's never played the outfield, but, you know, I think most guys can adapt to a corner outfield spot without too much problem. Um, but he can hit. He can. And he is really not bad defensively at all. He's really, uh, at second especially, he's, he's I, think, I think, above average um, defensively. So I would be, I would much prefer, if you're going to have a, a sort of super utility guy, I would much prefer Blandino to Dixon, just because I think he has a higher ceiling um, mm-hmm. and probably a higher floor also. That's a, possibly. And, and, and I love, what I love about uh, Blandino is the idea that I'm not ready to give up on him being the red starting second baseman at some point. I mean... He's hit everywhere he's been, uh, pretty much. He had a he had a down year there, I guess, or two, where it was like, what happened to this guy? Um, but he's rebounded. You know, last year uh, in Louisville, just uh, 390 on base percentage in Louisville. Um, you know, 
He's again this spring. We're talking about a very small sample size again, but you know, 364 uh, average, 417 on base. He's done nothing this spring. Uh, he's 25 years old, so maybe maybe you send him to Louisville and say you're starting second baseman, and then uh, if we move Scooter and we put Senzel at shortstop, uh, then you know you, you're in that mix. A lot's going to depend on who goes where with uh, Nick Senzel and how Jose Peraza does. So I don't know. I, I guess if all things being equal, he's a he's the best player of the three. I think that we're talking yeah. about Dixon. You know, it sounds like I guess sort of talking about us, talking between us and and also now just with. For me, at least, really looking at the options, it sounds like what I think we would both prefer is uh, our backup infielders effectively being Dixon and um, Blandino, with you know Pennington probably getting a lot of time in AAA. And if something serious were to happen where the Reds needed somebody who could play shortstop on a daily basis, then you call up Pennington. Right, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, if you need a backup shortstop, Blandino can probably handle that for the uh, game or two here and there. But if, yeah, if uh, if Peratza's hurt and you don't think Senzel's ready for it, Pennington, you know, uh, is a guy. So, yeah. But what I like about Dixon, of course, is that he gives you enough flexibility. Maybe you can keep uh, Blandino and, uh, and Pennington if you want, because you, you got a backup what? outfielder. And he does hit the ball hard. I mean... Um, the park here in Louisville is not an easy one to hit home runs in, as you know, as frankly we saw with Jesse Winker, who all of a sudden had a lot more power in Cincinnati than he ever showed in Louisville. And boy, Dixon has hit some monsters. Oh, and for those of you that uh, uh, haven't uh, listened uh, over the last couple of years, Jason, of course, uh, sits in that press box at Louisville a lot and uh, and watches the games. And he and he, he, Jason, you always said, man, I just can't tell you how many times Winker would hit a ball like kill a ball and it would die right before it got to the fence or something. It was just uncanny. You mentioned it several times. And, um, and of course we saw maybe he does have a little bit of power, uh, but Dixon was powering him out of there, huh? Yeah. I mean, he, only 16 home runs, but that's a lot. In 16 home runs is a lot of home runs. in Louisville. Yeah. Well, if the, the Reds could probably keep all three, I guess if I'm counting correctly here and depending on how many relievers they take, they could probably keep all three. If, they just uh, have one other backup outfielder because you can let Dixon uh, be. So, which I guess we're talking. Actually, nope. It's just the the, the big four: Billy Hamilton, Scott Schebler, yeah, Adam, Adam Duvall, Jesse Winker, and then let Dixon be the fifth. If Dixon is your fifth outfielder, then yeah, they can keep them all. Um, I guess the other alternative for fifth outfielder is Philip Irvin, right? And that's the same deal. If you think he might be a starter, you probably send him to AAA for a little bit. Uh, if you're more in the you're going to be an extra outfielder camp then you keep him on the roster it, it really just depends yeah and it'll be interesting to see what the reds uh what, what they're looking for um they've still got 36 guys in camp and so there's still some guys who uh i think I've, that uh you know can maybe be in the mix maybe can still still make the team um got a lot of relievers i guess and uh, now that uh lorenzen's not going to be ready for opening day um, you know, I think that uh, Jared Hughes and uh, uh, Hernandez, the two guys they signed, uh, free agents, are going to make the team. And other than Lorenzen, I guess you pretty much know what, know what you're getting out of the bullpen. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I guess, to uh, waste too much time discussing that. Um, well, we can at least perhaps take a moment and, and address the fact that I don't know about you, but I'm not really terrified of the bullpen this year, and that's a nice feeling. Oh, I think that's you know I talked about my fears with the rotation. And I think that's a great point, Jason. I think we've got some guys there. Yeah, they signed a couple of 32-year-old relievers. I'm like, what are you doing? And then I look at them and I say, wait a minute. 
that really helps stabilize uh, the bullpen. These are guys that throw ground balls and uh, and have been effective and uh, gives you a couple of guys you can sort of depend on in the sixth or seventh inning. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think the worst-case scenario for the Reds' bullpen this year is that they are totally adequate. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't, I don't know if they're going to be much better than adequate, but there's a pretty good chance they're going to be. And then you still have yeah. Iglesias in the back and uh, Wandy Peralta. Yeah. Um, and Mike Lorenzen, if he's able to come back. Um, then, right. So uh, I think that's a great point. I think that I don't really have those fears about the bullpen. And, and it, after all these years of it terrifying me when it got to bullpen time, I mean, we're not talking about the nasty boys out there, although uh, Roselle Iglesias is probably nastier than any of the nasty boys uh, in terms of his stuff, but uh, should be a bullpen that you can depend on. And that's really all we can ask for. I yes, guess. I agree, and it, and it will be nice to just be like, "Oh, here's a completely ordinary major league relief pitcher coming in out of the bullpen," instead of here's someone who might be really good but might also walk everyone in the world and give up. Right. And again, I feel like we criticize Asher Wojciechowski too much, um, and we shouldn't because Asher Wojciechowski did some good things for the Reds. But you know, we don't have any of those guys that you're calling off their couch to come pitch for you. Um, you got guys that have demonstrated success in the big leagues and who, yeah, you're not, they're not going to, not going to terrify you. So that's a great thing. It's a great thing. So well, me, if, and we'll wrap it up here. We do need to wrap it up. But, uh, the one thing that, uh, just you hit on it a little bit about this rotation, but just the team as a whole, finally, and especially when Nixon Zell gets here later this, uh, hopefully this spring, early summer, when Nixon Zell gets, gets to Cincinnati, you're going to be able to say, oh, man, this team that we hope is going to be competitive is really starting to shape up. It's starting to come into place. And this year we're really going to learn about some of these guys, and we're going to know by the end of the year where the Reds have to fill in holes. And the hope is that enough of the young guys do well enough that the holes are minimized. But we'll know one way or the other. And there's there's some ex- some reason for excitement. Even if the Reds lose a lot of games this year, I think we'll be able to see – no, maybe not in wins and losses, although I do think we'll see it progress in wins and losses. But we'll be able to see, all right, it's taking shape. Does that make sense to you, Jason? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. I think um, I'm at the point now with what the Reds are, are seeming to do with their roster. And, you know, I've said before, uh, I really want to see a 500 team this year, and I will continue to say that. Um, but I, the Reds have, frankly, I don't think any excuse to not be a winning team next year. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean they're going to be in the playoffs, but if they're not looking to post a winning record next year, it's because they have not gone out and done the things that they need to do to make themselves a winning team. Yeah, something will have gone horribly wrong at that point, and uh, there'll be some justifiable criticism. I, I, I agree with that. And, and, and I thought the Reds had a pretty good chance of being at least 500 this year until, you know, Di Scalafani, Di Scalafani, Antonio Di Scalafani. Um, that doesn't really work like no, – I'm not going to say it again, but um, – <laughs> Until he and, and Brandon Finnegan and, and now Michael Lorenzen got hurt, and I started thinking, oh, here we go again. But I thought, until then, I thought, oh, this team really has a chance. And there's no question in my mind that if things break right and a lot of these young guys do well, this team could surprise everybody. Could be the surprise team in the league. Now, I'm not saying they're a World Series team, but they could surprise everybody, couldn't they? That potential's there. Yes, that, that, that's that's a very good point. You know, I think the last few years, especially with what's happened with the pitching, have gotten a lot of us into the hand wringing phase. But this, there is an equal chance that things could break, break right for this team. And it could be June and people would be like, hey, the Reds are not fading. Yeah. Um, you know, we could be into that kind of circumstance. And it's fun to at least have that potential again. Right. 
And, you know, June gets here and Nick Senzel's here the rest of the season. And some of these young pitchers, we know which ones are, are earning the, their, their keep. Could be a pretty good team second half. Really could. Really good. Um, all right. So, way to end on an optimistic note. Um, on another exciting note that uh, really gets me worked up. You've been watching any of this NCAA basketball tournament, Jason? Um, I have watched very little of it, but I hear something happens to one of your alma maters. Oh man, my alma mater made history, Jason. It, it, that's one way to look at it. Hey, listen, I'm going to be a big man about this because uh, people tweet at me all the time and say, quit talking about Virginia basketball. You know, I've been excited all season about this great team. Number one overall seed, ACC regular season champions, ACC tournament champions. They dominated the ACC. Uh, went 20-1 and one against ACC teams in both regular season and tournament. Uh, historically good team. And so I've been so excited and was planning to go down to Charlotte for their second round game because, of course, they're going to win in the first round. No 16 seeds ever <laughs> upset number one. And I probably would have been in Atlanta right now uh, for the – Sweet 16. Um, so, yeah, Virginia lost to the University of Maryland at Baltimore County, Jason. So I just feel like I, feel like I needed to address that because I've been all season long irrationally exuberant. But it, it, at least we can – I will give you this. At least um, UMBC did even – even though they lost their second-round game, they put up a really good fight in their second-round game too. Uh, you know, I got nothing bad to say about that bunch there. Yeah. They're, so that's, I mean, but that wasn't like, that's a team that clearly showed up uh, with a plan and, and, a, and a team that was able to do a lot better than a lot of people expected of them. And, you know, yeah. that's on their end. They get to, they get to be that team forever. They're the first team to ever do that. And that's the, they played really hard and uh, they were outworked Virginia and, you know, their coach is a former Virginia ball boy and his dad was a former assistant at Virginia and, their best player, both his parents graduated from Virginia. I mean, there's all these links, but hey, more more power to them. The worst part for me is just that, as a Virginia fan, I'm now going to be seeing the highlights of this game every single March for the rest of my life. So that's going to be fun. But whatever, it's sports. Sports are fun. Who cares? And anyway, at the end of this year, when the Reds win the World Series, it will go a long way to making things better. Exactly. Now you're talking. All right, that's uh, a good place to wrap it up, I guess. Uh, this is the Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 199. Next episode will be our landmark 200th episode, which is hard to believe. Uh, you can find Jason Linden on Twitter, at Jason Linden. I'm at Dotson C. RedLegNation.com, uh, where we're talking about the Reds every single day, all throughout the season. And uh, at RedLegNation on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Red Leg Nation. We're everywhere you look for. Uh, Red Leg Nation is wherever you, you get your news about the, the Reds. You need to, uh, if you would, please go and uh, subscribe to the podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. We're there. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. As I always say, it, it helps out. Also, uh, go to Amazon.com. There's a new book out called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, we've had some very kind comments. Um, buy Chad's book. <laughs> buy Chad's book. Exactly. Um, I should have put that at the top of this podcast because nobody's listening now. Buy the book and leave a good review if you like it. Um, and if you don't, keep your mouth shut, as I always say. Jason, always fun, buddy. Good talking to you. Always a good time, sir. All right. For Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.